This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome again to my show, Selching Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from a DD. I said IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have as our guest today, Jesse Bowling, an attorney and partner at Ehrenstein Palm and Glass. And in a few seconds, I will ask you to speak up and say you're here. Are you there? I am here. Okay. Sometimes I can get away, go down the line here. And I'm thinking, you know, what happened to Jesse? <laughs> Jesse is quite a guy. He's a, a very well-respected attorney. He practices in business, commercial disputes, intellectual property matters, appellate law, entertainment and media, education and certificates. That's next. You went to University of School of Law at UCLA. Is that right? That's correct. UCLA Bruins. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, and you're working in you're working on your playing field too. You're, you're in LA, right? Yes, yes. And so most of my practice is in Southern California, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, has here you've practices or certificates for U.S. District Court, Central District of California, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Which of those do you like best? Um, I spend most of my time in the lower courts just because that's where most of the work is. And so I do have a special, um, those courts have a special place in my heart just because I appear in them most of the time. The mm -hmm. appellate courts are very, very interesting and very fun. It's just you don't make it there very often because most cases don't make it to appeal. So when you get up to the Ninth Circuit, or state appellate court, uh, it's a it's a you know great opportunity because it doesn't happen a lot. Well, I would think that if, the way you described it, you 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 you've been going to school on the case, I guess, and then all of a sudden it's 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 over or it's pulled out from under you. Um, those things happen. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it's uh, you mentioned going to school. Um, and uh, you spend, you know, becoming a lawyer, you spend a lot of time in school, right? You've got to do your undergrad, and then you've got to go to law school, and then they just throw you in the mix. Um, and you start litigating cases if you're uh, a trial lawyer, or you start doing corporate deals if you're on the transactional side of things. And that's why they call it the practice of law, John, um, because it takes a little bit of practice underneath uh, partners to get to where I am today, but it's been truly a great experience and I really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, the thing I like about it most is helping clients and being that person that they call when they, uh, they really need somebody because they've got big problems. Well, that's usually the case, um, uh, especially if, if crime is, is involved. Um, I don't see any criminal activity here. Um, so I think you chose but better. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. You spend a lot of time in law school and just 
people in general spend a lot of time thinking about lawyers from the criminal perspective. That's where the primary, uh, that's the primary emphasis of TV shows and just everything you hear about. I'm actually what they call a civil lawyer. So I, um, I deal with business disputes about money, mostly. Uh, sometimes there's other subject matters, you know, trade secrets and other items and preventing people from doing things, but primarily when somebody's been wronged and they've lost money, uh, they give me a call. Um, the criminal stuff, uh, I have a lot of uh, friends from law school who practice that type of law, although I can comment about it, it's not my primary expertise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Norman, thank God. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> um, growing up as a kid, was that in L.A. as well? You know, I actually grew up, I, I have kind of a, tra- a traveled history. So I was born in Texas, and then I moved to Alaska, and then I moved back to Texas, and then I moved to California during my junior year of high school. So I get to say that I've lived in the biggest states in the United States. Um, <laughs> Uh, my dad was an engineer, and we moved around a little bit, but once I got to California, and specifically Southern California, I was, uh, the weather subdued me. It was just so nice out here that I couldn't leave, and that's where I am now. Right, right. That's what I hear. And uh, you're lucky to be there, I can tell you that. Oh, uh, very just much because so. of, Just because of the climate. Yeah, very, very lucky. Uh, I always say that, you know, Texas taught me to withstand heat. Alaska's taught me how to withstand the cold. But as soon as I got to California, I forgot how to do both. <laughs> oh, I assume there's not as much humidity in Alaska as there is in Texas. You are you are correct. A lot more snow, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when did you decide you wanted to be a lawyer? You know, that's a great question. So uh, I... I stu- you know, I was very academic growing up and in college, and after college, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I had some ideas, but I thought I would take a few years off and kind of find myself. So I actually, uh, I worked for an accounting business consulting firm for a little while, and then became a tutor of the LSAT, which is the test that you take um, to get into law school. I had taken it during college and was able to get a job teaching other students how to take it. And in my spare time, I also worked at a law firm. It was actually one of my really good friends from high school. His mom owned her own law firm. And I kind of got a feel for it there. And what really drew me to it was the client-attorney relationship. It's so unique in our society. I feel like everybody is at odds and ends in the business world at all the time trying to one-up each other and take advantage, but your attorney is the one person you can call when you really need advice and you can trust them to give the advice that you need, that is the best for you. That's the person who's your biggest advocate, and I really like that. I just, uh, on a day-to-day basis, being able to talk to people and saying, hey, look, what I'm telling you is what I would do myself. It's the best for you. That's my job. That's my ethical obligation. Uh, that drew me to the law, and that's why I'm here today. You know, kind of ancillary items. I do a lot of writing in my job, and I've always enjoyed writing. 
and uh, that kind of drew it to me too. So those would be that's kind of how I I uh, I ended up here. Do you have any other family members that are attorneys? You know, actually, funnily, I'm the first one, right? Uh, I come from a, a family of mainly scientists, uh, you know, engineers and other professions like that. And so everybody was very taken aback when I decided to become a lawyer. But my grandfather, you know, uh, who passed away recently, he always said the family always needed an attorney. So uh, I like to think I filled that spot for them. Have you been keeping up with the uh, um, Musk versus Twitter? Uh, yeah, the- yeah. No, without a doubt, it's been a very interesting case. Big stakes. You know, it's the stuff that uh, lawyers like me kind of live for. So I've been following it and just kind of seeing what's going on. Very interesting, right? Not often do we have the world's richest man you know, going against one of the biggest social media companies in the world um, in a in a high-stakes litigation in Delaware Chancery Court, of all places. I was unaware of the Chancery Court. I, I know that, you know, everybody likes to have Delaware language in their corporations, but um, I, I'm not familiar with that. The Chancery. Yeah, your, your, your spot. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, John. You're right. Okay. Uh, I was going to say you're spot on. Uh, Most businesses like to put Delaware law Mm -hmm. in their contracts. Mm -hmm. And what that means is there's any type of breach of the contract, then Delaware law would apply as opposed to, you know, California law or another jurisdiction because Delaware is very business friendly. um, And their courts are set up where even if you're doing business all over the world, you might actually incorporate in Delaware because their laws are so friendly to businesses. So you were spot on with that analysis. The Chancery Court is just a, it's just a, uh, it's just a funny, I'll call it a funny name for what you traditionally hear as a, a superior court or a trial court. So usually in a jurisdiction, you've got three levels, right, in a state. You've got the trial court level, You've got the first level of appeals, which is called the Court of Appeals, and then you've got some sort of Supreme Court at the top, right? And so, you know, the trial courts make the decisions, and then the appellate courts review those decisions to make sure they're correct, and then the Supreme Court or the third level sometimes steps in if there's an uh, an issue at the appellate court level. And the Chancery Court's just a trial court. So it's just the lowest level of court in Delaware, and it just it has a special name. I think it actually comes from uh, Britain, uh, hmm. Court of Chancery. I think they kind of brought that over way back in the day when uh, our country was just getting started. Mm-hmm. Well, if you were outside and you were viewing a fence, and in this case, you've got the attorneys for both sides, and uh, which side of the fence would you like to be on? Well, you know, it's such a great question, and what I I say my my uh, my brain is on the side of Twitter, but my heart would be on the side of Elon Musk's team. Mm-hmm. You know, Elon Musk, you can never put anything past him. I mean, there's a reason he's the most successful business person in the history of the world 
and you know his net worth is more than many countries uh, GDP and so it's hard to put it against him but I do say in this particular situation Musk is a he's in a tight spot because the contractual language that he signed is very very tight there's not a lot of wiggle room and so Twitter has a really good case against him so I would say that if you made me choose a side, I'd be on Twitter's side, but I'd be a little apprehensive just because you never know what Elon Musk has up his sleeve. Well, that's interesting, too. Um, when you think about this guy, and he's, he's so successful. I, mean, I think everybody has got their hand over their heart hoping for the best for the guy. But it's, it just seems that, you know, as you said, the law is probably going to rule. Yeah, and I think in this particular situation, you know, my my take is that Musk really did want to buy Twitter, but uh, he didn't expect such a significant shift in the marketplace as soon as the deal started getting made. And really, uh, you know, what had happened is it really started affecting Tesla. And you can imagine why, uh, right? You have the the kingpin CEO, Elon Musk, who's led Tesla to be one of the most profitable companies in the history of publicly traded companies, uh, with share prices just going up and up and up. And all of a sudden, he's got a huge problem to solve in Twitter, right? And so shareholders maybe became apprehensive and started you know, saying, well, if Musk isn't involved, you know, why am I going to, you know, have all this Twitter stock? And they started selling. And so the price dropped. And I think what happened when that price dropped, uh, you know, maybe unplanned by, you know, it, Musk didn't anticipate this. Uh, and you could argue it was a little bit of ego. I think he, he saw that his control over Tesla might be at stake. Because, you know, let's be honest, Tesla is a much more important company than Twitter. Right. I mean, right. it's as far as value and everything. And the way it's set up is Musk, you know, basically has this kind of quote unquote veto vote based on his ownership interest. And as the stock price lowered, um, you know, and he had to put up all this money to buy Twitter, that uh, veto vote that he has um, was at risk. And I think that's ultimately why he pulled out. Uh, we'll see how it ends up. In the end, um, you know, I I would predict that there's some sort of confidential settlement at the end of the day because then both sides can save face and the public won't ever know what happened. Um, but you know, we'll see. The time will tell. They're on an expedited trial schedule, so things should happen quickly. Well, that's a great uh, uh, look at how you, you see it in your eyes. For me, I'm just thinking about the lights and so forth and gaffes that are going to occur and uh, so forth. But uh, I think that's probably a, a good solution. Uh, what would not want to get that, that kind of solution? Could they mad so mad at each other they won't do that? John, sorry, I, you cut out a little bit. Could you ask your question again? I apologize. Oh, that's all right. Sorry. Um, I was thinking about the, the view as a for me is uh, as a citizen, and then for you as the lawyer that can see it through all these things and probably predict the settlement. 
And um, I don't know where you think of, about that. It's, oh, uh, predicting the settlement. Mm-hmm. So it's always a, I call it when my clients ask me to predict what happens, I always say, you know, I've got this crystal ball here, but I, you know, <laughs> if it works, I don't think I can take credit. If it doesn't work, you know, I don't, I can't take credit either words, but it's a good question. I think Elon Musk will end up paying Twitter some money to make this go away because ultimately his prize is Tesla and SpaceX and you know one person can only do so much and i think he doesn't want to lose the the opportunity to achieve on several you know very lofty goals that he has in that area so i think he'll pay them off um and have them go away but we'll never know because it'll be confidential and kept under lock and key but that would be my guess is how this goes it was a bit of a surprise that um, I believe the judge wanted a five-day trial to start up, get it over with. Yeah, and you know I kind of like that decision because uh, a lot of lawyers bill by the hour. So you know when you <laughs> you, you get these trial estimates where lawyers say they're going to be in trial for you know the better part of four months, and you think mm-hmm. to yourself, how could that be possible? Mm-hmm. And this judge is really putting the the ropes on each side and saying, hey, look, we're going to do this efficiently. We're going to do this quickly. And uh, I'm going to make my decision, um, you know, based on a limited time period. So give me your best evidence. And mm-hmm. I think that's a wise decision because, but, you know, let's be candid. If it were up to the parties, you know, and they wanted to explore every single detail possible, I mean, this case could last months, and you just can't mm-hmm. have that. So, as I always tell my clients, when you go to trial, you don't get to tell your whole story, but you get to tell what's most important, and that's mm-hmm. what the judge wants to hear or the jury wants to hear, uh, depending on who is uh, looking over your case and going to make the decision. How about the judge? Is she um, Kathleen St. Jude McCormick? Is she um, is she well known? Is she well liked? Or does it matter? She is uh, very well respected. Very well respected. I wouldn't say that she's famous just because she is a a state judge in Delaware. Usually, it's the federal judges that you hear more about, um, and usually they're on the appellate. Uh, level or Supreme Court level, so probably not many people have heard of her, but she's sharp and she's smart and she's got a good pedigree for these types of things. She's looked at these cases before. She practiced in this area of law before, so I think she's a great judge to decide who is correct in this case. I I think that was a good draw. Um, She's the type of person that has been uh, impartial from what I've read, and so there's no kind of reading of which way she's going to go. Well, I would think that the media is going to try and find a way. Uh, Is this a courtroom that allows cameras? Uh, It can, right, if the judge allows it. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting um, to see which way the judge goes on that. Uh, There is, in most courts, you know, a right for the public to appear, especially in my jurisdiction in California, 
it's very hard to keep people out. I think Delaware has um, a little more leeway for the judges to decide, and it'll be mm-hmm. interesting what she says. But regardless, though, the media will be there. If they're in the courtroom, sure. If they're not in the courtroom, uh, they'll be right outside waiting. Outside the door in the hall, outside the door to the to the courtyard. Um, they'll probably there's probably I, I haven't been to the chancery court where they're trying it, but usually courts have a place where media are supposed to be, right? So they'll put them in one place, whether they have a room for them to sit and people can you know brief the media afterwards or outside. I'm not sure. I haven't been there, um, but you know they're going to come in swarms. That's for sure. Well, it's going to be, uh, I guess, a, a, a TV news reporting yeah. probably all day long, like just like we're doing. We're listening to Trump now and what he's got going on. At, uh, uh, Mar- Absolutely. Yeah. That's really turned into something there, too. Um, I'm not sure what uh, in all it's, it's all about. Uh, there's so much. This is supposed to be here, but it's not there. But it was there, but now it's not anymore. You know, how, it, do you, how do you define that? It's a good question. Um, what's happened? What happened? I guess I should say down in Florida. Um, you know, the general rule from presidents is they're they're not supposed to take anything with them. And uh, you know, the allegations that led to this warrant or that. Uh, you know, I, I, it's it's uh, you know against Trump, but I guess you'd just say he, Trump and his uh, and his uh, his team took certain documents from the White House. Now, there's a bunch of debate about were they confidential, were they designated unconfidential? Did he just you know take his memoirs with him? Uh, that hasn't been determined yet. Uh, you know, I from my follow up over the weekend, there hasn't been a, a release about what was found. Um, and so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's very interesting. It's the first time kind of in our country something like that, this has happened. And, you know, uh, Donald Trump is no, uh, is no stranger to attorneys. So I'm sure he's got a great team and uh, will do his best to, um, you know, prove his innocence, which, you know, I mean, frankly, uh, in, our, in our society, you're innocent until proven guilty, uh, although it doesn't always seem that way with the way the media covers things. Well, I can testify to that, um, but I won't go into that now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk after the after the show's over. Sure. Um, I uh, have a great regard for for you guys, you especially. Now that I've met you and talked to you, uh, you've got uh, good energy that comes through the phone. You know what you, you know where it is and what's going on, whereas other people might be sitting in the room looking around still. Well, I appreciate that, John. Uh, you ha- ask insightful questions, so I'm able to give insightful answers. Well, that's the idea. I'll tell my producer. <laughs> <laughs> See if that works for me. Uh, I want to, uh, uh, if you would, to tell my listeners. Where you be found? How you how you stick out in society for them? Be there aside from hanging out with a a, a sign on the curb. There you go. Well, if you don't see me with my sign while you're uh, 
driving in Orange County, California, you can definitely find me on the web. So we, uh, my firm just launched a, a brand new website, epglawyers.com, and if you click the the uh, link to quote unquote the team, you'll see me there, Jesse Bowling. Um, I'm on the partner level, and you can read about me. I've got my email address and my phone number right there, mm-hmm. and. I always say uh, for any of your listeners, you ever have a problem, you know, legal issue that you're just thinking about, feel free to send me an email. I am, you know, dis- despite having a busy caseload, I always have five minutes for anyone. And sure. whether I can solve your problem or I can find another lawyer to help solve your problem, whether it's in California or anywhere over the United States, you know, I'll, I'll connect you with a person that can, that can help. So feel free to use that, and I can always fit in five, ten minutes for anybody that has a legal issue. No problem. Well, that's Uh, certainly – go ahead. Oh, sorry, John. I was going to say the other thing you can find me on is LinkedIn, just searching for my name and Mm -hmm. EBG Lawyers. Uh, But, you know, the website's the best way. I agree. I agree with that. Um, And now I get to give everybody a hang of big – I've got time here. Our listeners, thank you. And listening to Searching for Integrity, the guests that we have are also thanking you because all have a message and all want to make sure that people know what that message is. And that's why I'm doing my best. So I want to make sure that those listeners keep coming back and coming back. Um, and I want to say to you, maybe if you've been living in, in California a long time, uh, when I say adios, I usually say so long and happy trails to you, to all. <laughs>